It's interesting, as we've been studying Matthew over the last, I mean, for some period of time, I guess, uh, we really took a break though, but I mean, almost a year. But as you've studied it, if you went back this week and you thought about, man, we talk about these Pharisees and Sadducees a lot. They keep coming up before us, and it's, it's an interesting thing because what Matthew will do is in this, well, where we've been studying here, last week we looked at this Canaanite woman, and when you're looking at her and you're observing her, you're thinking, what humble faith. This lady is on the ground saying, I'm a dog. If you'll just give me a crumb, that will be enough. You leave that scene, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Matthew takes you to these religious leaders. And you go from one on the ground just saying, Lord, if you'll just have mercy on me. Calling him the king of the king that was promised. That's what in that moment she's saying, You are the son of David. She is professing faith in the one who has come. And you come over to these other men who are putting our Lord to the test. The very ones you think would love him, who would say they were longing for him, are testing him. So this morning, one of the things you want to note is that a natural man who can see in a, in, a, in a very in the natural realm, who has eyes and ears and has education and who is wise and understanding in the natural realm. A man who, who might be under the sun, very wise, and people would look at them and praise them for who they are. Those kind of men is not what God needs. God doesn't need your natural ability to understand and comprehend what's under the sun. God is working in the midst of revealing to us that God opens the eyes and He allows people to see. People need spiritual sight. They need to be able to see beyond the sun. They need to be able to grasp the heavenly things. And this morning, the ones you think would be able to, the ones you think that God would want on His team, are the ones who are rejecting Him. The Lord has to open spiritually dead eyes that they might see. Now, as we think about that, the disciples have to beware. Do you know why? Because they often see like we see. Mike tells me a lot, he says, Jared, what are you looking for? Maybe you're looking for the wrong thing. See, we are like Israel that Saul, King Saul and said, he's a head higher than everybody and he's big and robust and strong and powerful. Choose him to be king. You remember that? And even David's father didn't even tell David to show up. He was small and insignificant. But here's the thing again, God doesn't need that. And so what's going to happen here 
is the disciples are going to be tempted to run back to those at some point in the future who are very wise and smart in this present world, maybe even very religious. But the reality is, is Jesus is trying to help them see that spiritual insight and spiritual understanding comes from God. And if it comes from God, then God has to do it. And, and so what we're going to have to see this morning is to beware of what we naturally are drawn to and be, be understanding that God reveals knowledge to whom He chooses, and when He does, they see and they praise the Lord Jesus. Now, God tells us in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so what happened here is, what does Jesus say? If you, You'll see the sign of Jonah. What will happen? Jesus will go to the cross, but for many, that will make them sick. And it will be the stumbling that they stumble over on their way to hell. So as we come together focusing on this this morning, I hope you see and understand this text and you also would beware. Matthew 16, verse 1. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came and to test Him, they asked Him to show them a sign from heaven. Now, if you think about the Pharisees and Sadducees, now here's the thing. You're looking in the Jerusalem Times or the Jerusalem Gazette and you see what's going on there, you would think, when you see their names together, it's like a fight. You know, It's kind of looking at the Republican-Democrat, or maybe if you grew up, I used to live in Kentucky for a while, and up in those hills, the Hatfields and McCoys. When you see those guys together, you think, uh-oh, there's a war. Something's going on. What's happening? Now, here's the thing. They're buddies right now. And that should immediately in this text, if you were reading this in the first century, when you say they're hanging out together, like, Going up, giving high five, and walking together up to something, you're like, whoa, something's going on in this text. So I want you to notice that, and as we see it, I want you to think about a few things. Now, number one is this, just that the only time that you would ever find them together is when there's a war that's coming. And, and we see that in our own country. Everybody kind of united together when there's an enemy that's going to take down the whole system. And that's kind of what is going to take place here. Now the Pharisees, you just kind of remember, and we've talked about this, so I won't spend a lot of time here, but here's the thing. They're kind of a lay movement of people. And so they would be people that would be holding on to these traditions that have been passed down throughout. They're kind of a holiness movement, very spiritually minded people. They were very robust in their activities. They would have gotten up early type people that would do their long, quiet times every day. They'd see them praying in the streets. Really, among the average person, they really were kind of drawn to this guy, these Pharisees. Because they were a lay movement. They were one of the people. It's kind of like, you ever heard anybody say, we want to get back to the old time religion? You, you, you know? And, and what they're saying sometimes is this. Sometimes where you know somebody steps on your toes, that preacher just pounds you. They love that kind of stuff. They would have been leading that movement. Now, again, I'm not knocking that, but, but the danger is they missed the point of the whole Scripture. But they would, they would be the kind of people that after you were done, you would be so weighted down with guilt that you would walk out of here crawling out trying to get to your car because of the weight of their system that was placed upon people. That's how Jesus kind of presents them. Now here's the other thing. They're with the Sadducees. These would be the theological liberals. They're really brilliant theologically. They would know all the stuff. They'd had the training. And so they're people, they were often aristocrats, so they're really wealthy, kind of 
separated from the people in the ivory tower. But the problem is they had kind of spiritualized some of the law and they only held on to the law. They really often thought there wasn't a future. And so here's the thing. They worked on the present. Y'all know people like that? That, that, that their, their Christianity is all about trying to make this world better, but they don't think that there's a coming judgment and so they wouldn't preach Christ and the Gospel. and They, they wouldn't say there's a need to, to deal with your sin because really there's no judgment in the end. So you've got these two different groups, two different false ways of viewing things, and as we come to them, they're coming to put Jesus to the test. Now what does that mean? To put Him to the test. To test Him. Whenever you see someone testing God, there is a major problem. We're going to put God to the test. They are standing before the God of the universe and they are going to put Him to the test to try to discredit Him. They've already said before, and you all know this, but I mean, they've already said like they saw what He did and you know what they said? He's from Satan. He comes from Satan. We saw that. And it's just this overwhelming kind of thing that's taking place. Now, do you remember John the Baptist? And you all just hang with me. Go back to Matthew chapter 11 real quick, verse 5 and 6. And this is what you see. John the Baptist asked Jesus, are you the one? Look at verse 5. And Jesus answered him and said this, the blind receive sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What is Jesus saying? This whole ministry that you've been watching unfold, this is who Messiah is. I'm the one. And what the Pharisees did is He was doing all that again, or they're just going to say, no, He's not. He's from Satan. And they're condemning themselves over and over and over. Now look what they say. Go back to our passage. He says, show us a sign from heaven. They've already seen all of these signs. Jesus is not going to continue to play their game. It's almost in a sense like they're setting a trap. They're going to say, Jesus, uh, show us another sign. Show us another sign. They keep prodding. Show us another sign. Do something else. Do something else. Do something else. They're trying to catch Him in something. This has already taken place before. You saw it in Matthew chapter 12. It's over and over and over. Now listen, here's the deal. The greatest possible sign. Now listen, if, if you're here today and you say, I want proof of who the greatest possible sign is what was sitting in front of them. Now, catch, listen, 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 listen. If God was to show up here, if you hard-heartedly continue to reject Him, even if He was here, you would reject Him. The problem is not evidence the problem is not evidence in our world. They had the most amazing evidence possible. God in the flesh was standing in front of them. The light of the world was standing in front of them. And they wholeheartedly rejected Him. What else could you do with these people? There's nothing else you could give them. There, there's no more evidence greater than this. And they are still asking for a sign. Verse 2, He answered them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. 
By the way, have you ever had somebody say red sky at night, sailor's delight, red sky in the morning, sailor's warning? Y'all remember that? Man, when I was growing up, there's this guy that was a friend of mine. I'm talking like 12 years old, he used that phrase. You know, it's like, that's an old man phrase. No, but anyway, he would say that, and every time, I mean, it was like, the sun's going down. You know, I mean, of course this is, you know, whatever. But anyway, every time I got around him and he would see the sky, like, tent a certain way, he'd be like, red sky at night, sailor's delight, you know, and all this stuff. But anyway, he's still kind of like, a, he thinks he's a weatherman. But anyway, when I think about that, what he's saying there in that moment, What's he saying? You can see under the sun. You you can interpret some of the things about the weather. You have your senses. Your eyes are working. You're able to process cognitively what is going on. You are able to assimilate the data and make decisions about what's going on in the world. You can see the natural realm But, what does Jesus tell them? They can see the natural realm, but the reality is they cannot understand the spiritual. Now, I want you to listen to a couple of verses with me real quick. 1 Corinthians 2.14 The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned what does that tell us that there has to be spiritual life in order for you to understand heavenly things in order for you to love christ in order for you to get these things romans 8 9 he says for you however are not in the flesh but in the spirit if in fact the spirit of god dwells in you anyone who does not have the spirit of christ does not belong to him listen to me if the spirit of god is at work when the spirit of god wakens somebody up or wakes them up from the dead when they hear those things they see those things they understand those things once they were blind to them now they see them it's just like the man that was born blind he said once i was blind and now i see i don't know anything else and that's the reality this is the problem with them they think that they're very spiritual they think that they're very knowledgeable but they don't know the things that are important because god has not allowed them to see verse four an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign but no sign will be given except the sign of jonah What does it mean, evil and adulterous? When you think about this evil, twisted generation, they've committed spiritual adultery. What does that mean? They say that they're really about God. But in reality, they're not worshiping God. They're worshiping the God they created. They're worshiping the system they created. They're worshiping themselves. And he's saying, you are an adulterous people. They are rejecting God in this very moment. So let's, let's answer a question real quick. A little bit deeper. Why don't they see? Why don't they see? What has Matthew told us over and over? Just write this down in your Bible. I don't want you to look all these up. But in Matthew 13.15, he says, For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. What's he saying? They harden their hearts. They will not believe because they don't want to believe. They have hardened their hearts. 
Now, what else do we learn in Matthew? Number two, Satan blinds the eyes of their hearts. Matthew 13, 19 says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. That's what they are. They're hard soil. The seed comes down, bam, and it bounces off. And Satan comes and takes that away. Not only have they hardened their hearts in willful unbelief, but Satan is there to help blind them in their unbelief. Third, catch this real quick, God hardens their hearts. that mess you up? God hardens their hearts. Does that freak you out? I mean, can you imagine? Can you understand that? There's moments in Scripture that you see where God hardens people's hearts. And one of the ways He does so, Romans 1 says, is that that He releases them over to their depraved mind. It's as if God says, go after your own way. Pursue what you want. Keep running after these things. Keep abandoning God. Take off. Go your way. And God releases them over. He doesn't stop them. Matthew chapter 13, verses 11 and 12. The disciples are told, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. God has to do it. God has to actively bring light. God has to actively open up. God has to actively bring you up and, and raise you from the dead so that you might see with spiritual eyes. This is the most dangerous place that one could be. Continually willfully unbelieving heart. Satan snatching away the Word from you and God letting you run after your own way and not opening your eyes. Now, you ready? With these people, they are the most dangerous of people the disciples could encounter. Look at verse 5. When the disciples reached on the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Watch and beware is a command. It's a command. He's saying, beware. Watch what's going on. Be careful to see what's taking place. Have you ever been in bear country? Anybody ever traveled into bear country? Decided to take a little hike through bear country? A little nerve-wracking. Always got. When I was a little kid, I mean not a little kid, but I was young. I went with a group of guys. We flew up to Minnesota. We were between Minnesota and Canada. It's called the Boundary Waters. On the way, on the plane, they give me this little pamphlet. I'm breathing through. It's like, now listen. If a black bear shows up, you fight him off. If a grizzly shows up, lay down and act like you're dead, even if he starts smacking you around. I mean, that's kind of the. I was like, what? what? I mean, you know, it was kind of like scary. And all of a sudden, you're thinking, oh my word! Every time I step into the woods the bear's going to get me or whatever. But anyway, there's other times I've been in different types of places like that. It's really a spooky place. Another place that you kind of... Um, I hunt down in a place... By the way, I killed a big deer this year, this week. Sorry, Bobby. Anyway, I killed this big deer. But anyway, no. But anyway, I go down to this place this year and start, I kind of walked around early in the season. Um, but, but there's like a swamp area where I, where I, I kind of can travel over into sometimes and but I mean, I, honestly, I don't even like going in there by myself in the summer. Because of snakes, man. I just think every step, you know, it's like they're hiding there to strike out and get me. Just can't stand those suckers. Anyway, here's the thing. 
Jesus called them, you brood of vipers, because their teaching was poison. He said before, they'll make you twice the sons of hell because they'll give you a religion makes you think you're right with God and it's poison and it's slowly killing you and it will lead you to hell. These people are extremely dangerous. Just a quick little note. We're not past that. Do you know some of you, I really believe this, grew up in evangelical churches that told you that you could work your way to God if you just acted good enough. You may have been raised by parents that taught you how to do everything just like they wanted you to. But that's not Christianity. That is not Christianity. Christianity is you crying out to one who can save you from your wretched, sinful self. And they could lead them astray. Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Verse 7. Now here's an interesting thing. Do you ever wonder why Matthew... Sometimes I think, Matthew, man, why do you make you... You all look so bad. You know, every time you look at it, you're like, why would he even say that? It would be one of those things where like, I'm not going to tell this story. Because if people hear this story, they're going to be like, we're complete idiots. But Matthew keeps showing all these stories about the disciples. And you think, I know under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit I mean, that he was guided to write these things, but you see in the Pharisees, I mean, I'm sorry, in the disciples, their kind of their hardness of heart. Verse 7, and they begin discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. So they begin to think <laughs> that Jesus is saying, I guess if we're walking down the trail and you see a Pharisee and he's got a little leaven to throw in your stuff, then. Don't take that. Be you know, stay away from that. Don't eat any bread from them. Don't buy from them in the market. But notice what he's saying as he's moving along. But Jesus, aware of this, said, "Oh, you have little faith. Their hardened heart. You kind of see this unfold. Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not yet remember the five loaves for the five thousand and how many baskets you gather, or the seven loaves for four thousand and how many baskets?" You gathered. What's Jesus saying? I can provide all you need. I've been taking care of you. I fed 20,000 people. I can feed anybody. I can do. You're going to be satisfied and taken care of. I told you, seek first the kingdom. I'm going to take care of you. But disciples, you've got to see beyond the sun. You've got to see beyond all those things and see the spiritual nature of what is taking place. They are men of little faith. You ever feel spiritually dumb? I was singing about a song we were singing a while ago and I thought, Lord, no, maybe it was in our our confession this week and I'm so, so centered around what I can see and so if, if I... If I if something if circumstances come up around me, then I immediately think I'm not going to make it. A lot of mine is tied to financial. I worry about will I have this or will I be able to do this or will I be able to you know continue forward? And I, I can go fearful, fearful, fearful just in a moment. I, I find myself in that sense of like Jared. You have all this knowledge about the Bible, but you're spiritually dumb because you don't believe it. You don't believe in this Christ who has all things under 
control. How do you become spiritually informed? You sit down and read the Word. But let me, let me say something real quick, just as a church, just as a little side note. The disciples were hearing His Word, but then Jesus had to come back and kind of explain that to them in, in greater detail. Often it was having to walk through life. Some of, some of you have maybe been around people where they talk about discipleship. When you want to see discipleship, you watch Jesus because Jesus is walking alongside them in life and as they're moving along, He's spoken all these truths, but He's helping them apply it in their life. We as a church need to be people like that. It's one thing to sit here, we get to all hear this together, but it's another thing for me to sit down in a coffee shop or at lunch with somebody and say, okay, here's the truth, here's life, here's the truth, here's life, here's knowledge, here's practice, here's knowledge, here's practice. That is one of the ways that we learn, and I encourage you not only to be one that helps others in this way, but also to be humble enough to learn from others in this way. Verse 11. How is it that you failed to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that He did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You see, the Pharisees and Sadducees might have been smarter about the Old Testament than the disciples. They may have been trained in logic and they could argue them I mean, just in amazing ways. They, they had watched all this unfold and they, could, they knew these people were very smart. But listen, throughout the New Testament, and then we're going to kind of be concluding, but listen to this. Throughout the New Testament, one of the things that comes up over and over and over is false teaching. The apostles, specifically Apostle Paul, would go in and preach to an area. He would just lay out this amazing gospel truth. And you know what would come behind Paul? Paul would go somewhere else. You know who would come in? People they called Judaizers and they would... They would start mixing in error. And they would confuse the church. I want you to hear just a couple of things from that. In Galatians chapter 3, this is what Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? See, deceived you. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Now here's what happened. After Paul came in and preached the Gospel of grace, and he preached this message clearly, behind Paul came in these people that said, look, you need to be circumcised, you need to do this, you need to do that. And what Paul says is this, how were you truly justified? It was by faith alone. Stop buying into all this junk. Do not listen to these people. He said this to them. He said, look, if you listen to someone like that, they're going to lead you down the path of destruction. And not only that, he said, if anyone preaches a gospel other than that Christ died for your sins and you are justified by faith alone in Christ alone to the glory of God alone, let him be anathema. Let him be destroyed. Let him be accursed. You have to hold tightly to these things. And Jesus knows He has to train these people up to discern truth from error because it's always crouching at the door. It's like me walking through that swamp. Every time I step over a log, right there might be that snake that comes in to strike. And we have to be very careful to hold fast to the Gospel message. Beware of their teaching. 
I'll say this too. Beware of the trends in Christianity. We have to beware of what's going. Sometimes what is so popular looks so right, but we have to be careful to say, are they preaching Christ? Listen to me, if the content of my messages week after week are how to make your life better in the present, if I'm just kind of standing up here every day and saying, this is how to have the best family, this is how to have the most money, this is how to do this, this is how to do that, this is how to experience all the joy, this is how to get over sadness, if that's the content of my message, if that's the content of my message, you begin to believe what the Sadducees believed and that was in the present, let's make life great. Or if I come in and say, look, you need to be heavy down with burden. Don't you know how sinful you are? Don't you know how much you need to hear this? Then you've got to start getting up early every morning and praying for two hours. You you need to have this weight and that weight and, and you need to do this and you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to do this. Don't you understand, you sinful people? I'm going to burden you down. I'm going to set a backpack on your back that's 200 pounds so that you have to crawl around so that God knows you love Him and lead you away from Christ so that you're not motivated out of the love that Christ did for you but you are motivated out of guilt because you think maybe if I do enough penance for God, He'll say you're acceptable. That is a lie. Beware. Beware. Beware for your family. Beware for your brothers and sisters in the faith. Beware at Texarkana. Not everything that says Christian is Christ-centered. Beware of messages that make you go, Amen, Amen, Amen. But it's not about Jesus. Beware. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. God, we we want to be like that Canaanite woman who is begging before our Lord Lord, one crumb from You is enough. Lord, only You can rescue and save. Lord, nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to the cross I cling. Let that be true of us. I pray that we would help guard the treasure of the Gospel in this area and take forth the full Gospel so that people may be saved. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.